We're in a sermon series here at Walk Church that we've titled Relationships with Momentum. Relationships with Momentum. And the heart behind this series is February tends to be a month that gets a lot of spotlight on relationships, a lot of spotlights on dating and Valentine's Day. Hopefully you had a good Valentine's Day this past week. And if you didn't, well, today's a good day to have a good day. Amen. And, and you can start now and, and, and be free. Um, we've been talking about relationships with momentum. Three weeks ago, we talked about what it looks like to be single with momentum. And if you're single as a Pringle, ready to mingle, that's a good sermon to listen to. I know it was corny. Um, <laughs> But I want to encourage you to go get that word because so many different pe people in our church who struggle with singleness, because sometimes in Christianity, singleness feels like a curse instead of a blessing. But the, uh, the Apostle Paul said his singleness was a gift. And so if, it, it all depends how you see it, right? If you see it as a gift or if you see it as a burden. But Paul says he was single and saved and he had momentum on his life. Not only was that Paul, but that was John the Baptist. That was Jesus. Amen. And so we talked about these three uh, a few weeks ago. Um, then we moved into last week. We talked about dating with momentum and how if you're in a dating relationship, how to cultivate momentum on your relationship in the context of dating. We, we looked at a passage in 1 Timothy 6 verse 11 where Paul writes to Timothy and he says, these are the things you should be pursuing. He talks about pursuing righteousness, which is doing the right thing the right way at the right time. And if you find somebody who's doing the right thing the right way at the right time, that might be the right one. Amen? And, and we talked about pursuing godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. We've been, we've been talking about how to do relationships with momentum. That's our word for this season, momentum. It, it means to have forward motion. You probably walked by four signs when you came in here that said forward motion, Mo momentum. We want to get some momentum. Amen? Right? Like the life of a Jesus follower is not lived in the past. You got to get past your past. So you can move into God's momentum for your life. That's what we're talking about here today. And so in this sermon here today, I want to preach a message that I'm titling, Married with Momentum. Yeah. Married with Momentum. Okay, we're going to clap for that. That's cool. Yeah. Because some of you are like, this is the word for me. And I brought my spouse and I'm going to elbow him a couple times in this message today. Um, and hopefully they're going get, to get something from it. Um, we're talking about Married with Momentum. I've given the same disclaimer at every sermon, I'm going to give it to you one more time, because each sermon kind of feels like a specialist in some ways, like we did single with momentum, I didn't want people that were in a relationship to feel like, oh, I can't get anything out of it, but come on, how many of you got something out of that message, right? In fact, you can get something out of every sermon if your heart is ready to receive, if your heart is all guarded and blocked up and you came in here critical and not wanting to listen, you might not get much. But today, if you're open to the Spirit of God speaking to you, you're going to get something out of this. So I want to say, kind of on the reverse this time, if, if you're single, you can learn from this message. If you're dating, you can definitely learn from this message. And if you're married, you have to learn from this message, please. Uh, if you're engaged, uh, definitely get some tips and tools uh, from this sermon. I want to go ahead and speak on what does it look like to be married with momentum. Not, not only did I craft this message um, with today in mind, but I also kind of applied this message with my wife. And I just said, Nina, uh, what, what are the things and co contributors that have helped us? We've been married for 11 years. We are by no means experts on the subject. I'll take the courtesy clap. We're on the journey. <laughs> Amen. But I'll just say, here's three areas today that I'm going to walk through biblically that have helped us be and stay married 
with momentum. Has it been hills and valleys, ups and downs, and all around? Absolutely. But could, could we say to you today that we are married with momentum? Yes. And I want to give you some of the reasons on why we feel that today. So we, we talked through these points together. And um, if you want to go deeper on any of them, you can ask her, you can ask me, or ask any of our team members. We'll talk more about it. So if you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. let's eat. Okay, Father, we're ready to eat. Lord, as we pray right now, Lord, the, our appetites are hungry for the word today. We know that, that man doesn't live off bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. So speak to us, Lord, we pray. God, I pray you'd help every married couple in the room today get momentum. For the ones that are struggling or, or just holding on, um, I pray that, God, you would help them today to, to, to take a step forward. Help them to, to light the flame again, to, to find that momentum. For those who are dating or engaged or thinking about marriage, God, may this message just be a, uh, be a helpful course that they could apply in their own relationship. For the single people in the room, help them to take notes today on what to look for and how to apply this maybe in their situation. God, I pray for everybody in the room. I pray for widows. I pray for those who have been divorced. I pray that, God, everybody in the room today would catch a word from your word and be edified by that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we go. Married with momentum. How to cultivate momentum uh, in your marriage. When I, when I speak on this topic, what I do want to say on the outset as well, and we're going to jump into the points, is that this message, in, in, in a lot of ways, all the sermons, are meant to be more like a GPS guide than they are a weapon. Can I say that? Because I know from my own self, you might hear a, a word in a sermon, and you might say, I'm going to use this as a weapon when I get home. <laughs> and, and the purpose of the sermon is, is meant to be a, a guide that says, turn left here, turn right there to help you get to your final destination. It's not meant to be a, a, a sword to stab somebody with, all right? Does that make sense? I just want to put that in, in front of you because, especially when talking about this subject, uh, the goal is to get somewhere. Yeah. Where are we trying to get to? We're trying to get momentum. We're trying to get to being in a place of not just surviving marriage, but thriving in marriage, right? So my prayer is that in this message, you'll hear a, okay, you're one mile away. Turn right now. In fact, go a little bit further. Make the turn here. I don't know about you, but... I tried to go somewhere the other day thinking in my own head I knew where it was, and I got all turned around, and then I just had to put the address in the map. I just needed some direction. I think maybe there's some couples that need some direction today. You don't need a weapon to stab the person next to you with. But, but what you may do, need is just, hey, here's something that we, maybe we should try this direction. Maybe we should try this route. Maybe it would help us. I'm going to give us three words that start with the letter S that we can apply to help increase momentum in marriage. The first one is this, increase momentum socially. Increase momentum socially. And when I give this phrase, I'm gonna give you a key to help open it up. Here's the key, communication is the key. I got a mm-hmm and a huh. I was thinking that there would be some more agreement on that. When it comes to increasing momentum in marriage, I wanna encourage you to increase momentum Socially, what does it mean to be social? It means to seek or enjoy companionship with another. Yeah. 
right? It's, it's seeking or enjoying command, companionship of others. It, it means to be friendly. Can I just tell you, married couples, be more friendly with each other. In fact, I think that your spouse should not just be your spouse, but also your friend. And in order to cultivate good friendship, you got to apply some of the ingredients of good friendship. One of the best ingredients of friendship is communication, of learning how to communicate, but not just communicate, communicate well. I was reading in the book of Proverbs yesterday, and some of you know that one of my models for Bible reading is every day read a proverb, right? Proverbs has 31 chapters. These are chapters of wisdom. And each chapter always has some type of nugget to apply that day. I, in fact, Proverbs 19 this morning was messing me up. But I had enough stuff to apply from Proverbs 18 that I put some of that in the sermon. Look at some of these verses on communication from Proverbs 18, verse 2. I was reading this yesterday morning. I said, it's going in the sermon. Let's read it together. Ready, set, go. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Oh, somebody amen that. Because maybe you're married to an opinion sharer. They are experts at that, but terrible at understanding. And, and, and a good way to communicate is to listen to understand, not just listen to respond. Listen, look, look, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. In other words, in your marriage, don't be foolish. Be understanding. Sometimes your spouse is just looking for you to understand, not correct. Is just looking for you to understand, not give them the answer. In fact, sometimes they might give you a question, but don't want the answer, but just want the understanding. This is something I've learned along the years. And I want to encourage you to apply Proverbs 18, verse 2. Only a fool takes pleasure in expressing his opinion, right? And so don't be a me monster in your marriage, in other words. A me monster just looks for that moment to jump in the conversation and turn it back to self. But be an other person-focused seeker, right? Where you're like, hey, I want to I seek your interest. Help me understand. And that's a good question, amen? If you're having conversation, if you're seeking momentum socially, help me understand because I don't want to be foolish. That's what that verse is. Let me give you another verse. Proverbs 18, verse 13. This was another one that hit me yesterday. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. Come on, you ever been in a situation where you're, you're talking with somebody and then they give you the answer and you're like, I'm not done. I'm still talking. I was le One of the things I'm working on in my communication is just getting to the point quicker. Right? Sometimes I got to share all the details. It's like, yo, just get there, dude. All right. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. So another tip on communication is don't be too quick to give the answer. Sometimes we don't even have the answers, and that's okay, right? Yeah. That's okay, because we're seeking to understand, not just give our own opinion. It's actually to the person's folly and shame. If, they're, if, the, if you jump in too quick on either side. Let me give you one more proverb out of 18. It says, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Have you thought about that? I was like, this is for my message right here. Listen to me. Death and life are in that, that tongue in your mouth. In other words, you can either raise somebody to life with your words, or you can take somebody to death with your words. Maybe you've heard this ridiculous phrase while you were growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie from hell. 
Because that's not what the proverb says. In fact, these words will kill somebody. I know for me and my marriage, Nina's top love language, it's actually a tie. We've had to learn this over the years. She has two top love languages. They, they, they go hand in hand. Quality time and words of affirmation work hand in hand. If you've never re- read the book, The Five Love Languages, it's a great book for married couples and dating couples to try to identify how to speak each other's love language well. But I realized instead of getting her a gift, a word would take it further. See, one of my love languages is gifts. So I try to tend to speak what I experience love by. But I realized Nina wasn't looking for a gift. She was looking for a word. And when I started to speak her love language, it started to cultivate momentum. Right? Uh, One of her love languages is quality time. So instead of me taking time to go drive to the mall to go get a gift that she didn't even ask or want, and then I get back, it would have been more beneficial to spend the time and give the word. Does that make sense? Increase momentum socially, companionship, friendship. Uh, Those who love it will eat its fruit. The type of fruit you're getting in your relationship is dependent on your communication. How are you speaking? He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I never never realized, I'm a big fan of Proverbs 18.22, I never realized 21 came right before it. That I think Solomon who was all types of jacked up. He had all types of marriage problems. He was writing out of probably what he was learning. He said, you know what? 21 and 22 go together. This is a, I've never seen 21 in, a, in the context of marriage, but oh, I do now. This, these serve each other. And I just want to say today, marriage is a good thing. I don't know if you've heard that lately in our culture, but it is, amen? <laughs> marriage is a good thing, and I think it's something to be celebrated Because the same way I celebrated singleness and the same way I celebrated dating is the same way I want to celebrate marriage. And I think that's a good way to get some momentum on your relationship. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Sometimes I'll just tell Nina, I'll say, you're my good thing. I, 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 Give me that. I didn't even mean it for that. Intains favor from the Lord. But I'm I'm being super biblical when I say that. Why do I... Because you need to see your spouse as a good thing. I think sometimes along the journey of marriage and you start to get to know each other, you know, they say opposites attract. In marriage, opposites attack, right? And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, you know, I put up with this for a little bit, but now that we're married, I ain't putting up with this anymore. And then you forget that this is your good thing. Yeah, good. Man, in fact, that person that you've covenanted your life with is, is a good thing. Yeah, good thing from the Lord. Increase momentum socially. I think there's so much power in value in doing that. Let me give you one of the ways to do that as well. It says in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4, that we should not just seek the interest of ourselves, but seek the interests of another. Why do I share that? In Philippians 2, it talks about don't just consider your own interests important, but consider the person next to you's interests important. Here's where I've made the mistake, church. I've applied that verse so often in church life but I don't always see it in my marriage that way. I, I, I've started to try to take the things that I would maybe counsel others with and apply it in my own marriage. And I found that there's fruit from considering the interests, not just of myself, but also, also her. You know, Nina did this for me recently um, in, in a profound way. And part of the reason why I'm rocking my bread toe Air Jordan ones, y'all know I'm a shoe guy. I always have to just kind of share my 
issue with, with, with shoes. But part of the reason why I'm, I wore these today is a sermon prop, uh, because um, this past year, sometimes I'll make a list. It's a little bit of my goal list. I'll be like, these are the shoes that I'm trying to get this year. And what I'll do is I'll put a little envelope aside, and I'll just start feeding that envelope a couple dollars here, 20 here. And then over time, I'll be like, okay, I can now get this shoe. And this was a shoe that I had my eye on for like several years, and I just said, okay, I'm going to get this shoe at some point. And Nina's like, whatever, do what, do, what, do your thing, right? And um, recently, uh, Nina shows up um, and says, I got a gift for you. And it was not anything that I asked her to do. It was actually a while after I had shared about my goal list. Um, but she comes up to me, and she has this nice bag, and it's all wrapped up. And I open this bag, and I'm like, what? what? You got me a gift? And here's what she's doing. She's speaking my love language. And I open up this box, and all of a sudden, the bread toe Jordan 1s are in there. And I'm like, whoa! What just happened? And what I realized was she knows me. Um, the thing that was so profound for me is that she thought forward in her thinking and said, I'm going to get my husband a gift because I heard him communicate what was on his goal list. He didn't ask me to do it. He wouldn't ask me to do it, but I'm just going to think forward and bless him with this gift. And I'll tell you what, it was the most meaningful gift of the year, not just because I wanted the shoe, because I saw the intentionality in her. What I want to encourage you with today, church, is this. Think forward for your spouse. Like, I know this about Nina. She's not a big fan of roses, but she loves orchids. I had to learn that by getting the wrong flowers first, right? <laughs> Come on, right? And she was always nice about it, but she's like, hey, you know that these aren't necessarily my favorite. My favorite are these. And so what I realized is, okay, I need to go ahead and be intentional with the flowers I get. Be intentional with the words I use. I want to encourage you to get social. I read this quote uh, from a pastor named C.J. Mahaney. Uh, he wrote a book called Sex, Romance, and the Gospel. And in this book, he says it like this. Um, he says, in order for romance to deepen, you must touch the heart and mind of your wife before you touch her body. Messed me up. I was like, okay. So I need to learn how to touch her mind. I need to learn how to touch her heart. So it's less of, hey, Nina, for date night, where do you want to go to dinner? And it's more of, hey, I know where you want to go to dinner. I've already even set the reservation. Why? Because I know you. Because, because we haven't just been married and bored. We've been married and intentional. We've been married with momentum. And, and, and I've been trying to apply the message of getting to know you. One of the profound statements in the book of Genesis, the first ever marriage, which we can learn a lot from, Adam and Eve. They didn't have it all together. But it says in Genesis 4.1, it says Adam knew his wife. And I think sometimes we jump straight to sex with that, but that's not what it says. No, it says Adam knew his wife. It's the Greek word gnosko. It's an intimate knowing. It's such a deep knowing that it even led to sexual um, activity. But it wasn't only that. It was an intimacy in what a person loves and doesn't like and does and doesn't do. And how to, Adam was getting to know Eve. And Eve was getting to know him. And I just want to encourage you, get to know your partner, your, your spouse, uh, your friend, so that you can increase momentum socially. I want to put a quick challenge up on the screen, and then I'll move into our second point. And here's, 
the challenge. Don't just get social in your media. Get social in your marriage. Amen? Come on, let's, come on, say it with me. Say it with me. Don't just get social in your media. Get social in your marriage. Uh, here's, here's why. Because I think when we hear the word social, we think of social media, don't we? And social media, in a lot of times, in a lot of ways, is really fake. Not saying that's you. I'm just saying that's not always the real person. In marriage, it's the real person. It's the person who, like, doesn't put the little lid on the toothpaste, or it's the person that doesn't put something away, or it's the person who does the thing that you don't like. It's the person who snores. It's the person who, I don't know what your fill-in-the-blank is, but marriage, it gets real, real quick. And I want to encourage you to don't just get social in your media. Check this out. I, I, I'm, I'll even confess this in my own life, and this, this happened in, in, within our marriage, which led to Nina and I being intentional with some boundaries. And boundaries help us, right? Yeah. Like, for example, this boundary keeps me from falling off the stage. Yeah. Put some boundaries in your marriage to keep you from falling off the stage, right? Put some boundaries to help you stay in line so you don't swerve over and hit the person next to you. Stay in the, in the boundaries. If you're a sports player, don't go out of bounds. Put some boundary, boundaries. Help us. They're our friends. Um, but at one time, I realized Nina and I were in, in our room, and we're actually there on the bed, just hanging out, chilling, just finally got the kids to sleep, and check this out. Here's, here's Hayden on my phone, more interested in other people's social lives than my own, scrolling, looking at social media, when the person I'm supposed to be getting social with is right next to me. I don't, I'm not going to do show of hands, but I can imagine I'm not the only one in the room. Where we're more interested in social lives of everyone else, which oftentimes are not even real, than the one we're supposed to be social with that God's covenanted us with together for, each, for the rest of our lives here on earth. And so I just want to encourage you. What Nina and I did was say, okay, we're not going to go on our phones in the bed. And then we realized we're not going to talk about church stuff in the bed. We're going to... We're going to be social together. We're going to talk to each other, and we're going to talk about that things in meaningful ways. And then I realized, you know what, we, we went on, we, we, had a, we had to put some boundaries in to say, you know what, date night needs to be a priority if we're going to get social. And so we didn't just hope it would happen. We made it happen, and we didn't let our kids be the reason why we wouldn't do it. We started paying babysitters, right? Come on. We started putting things in the calendar ahead of time. And one of the questions that we ask whenever we go on a date is this. Are you feeling valued? I ask her that, and then she asks me that. Before, sometimes we'll wait. We'll, it'll be right when we get the, the bill. We won't leave the restaurant until we ask each other that question. Hey, before we go, if we, if we ask it too early in the dinner, we might get upset at each other. <laughs> but we, we, we leave room for transparency. Here's the one question we always ask. We don't only ask this question. Sometimes we ask more than that. But at some point we realized, are you feeling valued? And we leave room for the answer. We don't try to answer for them. We don't try to make excuses. I don't try to make excuses for her. I just want to hear what she says. As of late, or here, you did this and it, it didn't make me feel valued. In fact, you got the orchids. It made me feel valued, right? Leaving room for the, that conversation, here's what it does. It increases momentum socially. If you got it, say, I got it. Okay, let me move on to the second point. And I want to go ahead and move into this next word that starts with the letter S. 
And I'll just go ahead and say that this next point um, is important for all married couples uh, to listen to and to hear. And um, for other people, it's good to take notes as well and to learn from as well. Increase momentum sexually. Increase momentum sexually. I got, I got a few yes, that's rights, and amens. Okay. Um, we talked about socially. We talked about communication is the key. Talk about sexu- sexually. Consistency is the key. Now, I know that this is deep, and I know that uh, quite a few people, I'm sure, are feeling awkward in this moment. And I just want to encourage you to lean into the awkwardness. Let me give you two reasons why I debated Nina and I together. We were like, should we bring this up? Should we talk about this? Let's just kind of skip past this. Let's just get them like a, let's just find a verse, just, a, you know, something else. And then we realized this. Two reasons why it's important to talk about sex in church. Number one, God talks about sex. If you open up your Bible, you'll find that God created sex, is the inventor of sex, and sex is actually a good thing in the confines of marriage, which is how God designed it. And remember, we're pursuing God's design, not man's design, not Hayden's design, not the world's design, not your reality TV show's design, but we're saying, God, you designed it. Tell us how to do it. This, this message is a GPS. Just tell us where to turn, God. We'll turn. We trust that you're going to get us where we need to go. So God, your design for marriage with momentum is to increase momentum sexually. Now, we're not trying to say how often or what that should look like in your life, but what Nina and I realize is one of the keys is consistency is the key. Uh, number one, we talk, I want to talk about sex because the Bible talks about sex. Jesus talks about sex. Paul talks about sex. Proverbs talks about sex. It's all over the Bible. But number two, can I just say this? The world talks about sex. And I would rather a teenager say, I heard about sex in church than say, I heard about sex in school. I would rather somebody say, hey, I never really heard about this topic before, but I actually heard about it first at church. And it shaped my design. (laughs) Rather, can I tell you about music's talking about sex? Movies are talking about sex? Your friends at school are talking about sex. People in college are talking about it. It's all over the place, but we don't talk about it at church. We talk about everything else. And we let the world disciple us. And we let our own flesh disciple us rather than saying, God, what's your design for this? Let's not be weird. Let's not be insecure. Let's just get God's design. Amen. I was going to clap with somebody. What's your design for marriage with momentum when it comes uh, to, to sex within the, the relationship. And I would say if this is a, 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 a topic that, you know, should have said this ahead of time, utilize the 412 Kids Ministry. Um, take, take your kids there if you want. We would love for that. We have six different classrooms. Can I just tell you, we just had our biggest month in the history of our church in kids ministry. Like so many kids are experiencing church right now. Um, in such a powerful way. And so if you need to take them over there, feel free to take them over there. We're just going to talk about this subject uh, just for a few minutes. And I think it's important and helpful um, to do this. Now, I've come to the the realization that in order to have a healthy marriage, you got to do things in healthy ways. Um, Healthy things grow. If something stops growing, you should check the health of it. Right? Healthy things grow have life. Healthy things have, have growth. If your marriage is unhealthy, check if you're healthy in this area. Um, because I think having marriage with momentum, this is one of the ways 
to do that. The Apostle Paul writes on this exact subject in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Corinthian church was dealing with all types of sexual sin and all types of problems with marriages, and people were trying to do things God's way, and they had before done things the, the pagan kind of Greek mythological way. And so you, Paul talks about how people were having orgies and doing sexual sins to uh, false gods and pagan items. And so all of a sudden now they're trying to do it the right way. And here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. It says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. That's the best verse I could find on married with momentum, increasing sex within the context of marriage. Amen? I just think that's an important verse to keep in mind. Because why? We're keeping the focus of the, uh, the person we're married to in mind. In other words, you want to have conversations, get social first, talk about it. It's so important to talk within your relationship. And you can even say, hey, how are we doing in this area? Am I helping meet your needs? And what if you both ask that question? Creating space for it without getting awkward or mean or using this as a weapon is a GPS. We're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to get momentum. I want to help fulfill your needs. You want to help fulfill my needs? Let's talk about that. Nina and I said, we, 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 we recently did a list. We celebrated 11 years of marriage. Um, amen. 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 Praise God. Thank you so much. We're grateful. We've spent a majority of our years within our, our church. You guys have seen us grow along the journey. We're continuing to grow along the journey. Healthy things grow, right? Uh, but we just, we, were, we did a date night on our 11-year anniversary. It was in November, and uh, we just said, let's just go, let's just write our top 11, what were the top 11 things that helped us be married with momentum? We just started going down the line. Um, number one, there was a tie for number one. Right? Jesus is always number one. I get it. All right? He, he's, he, he is the list. He, he owns the list. Right? When we got to number one, we wrote down the same sentence, y'all. Can I tell you? Can, can I be really transparent? If this is TMI. Forgive me for it. All right? Number one, we did 11, like, like all 11 were really good. But when we got to the number one, it was this. It was a tie. We wrote down the same thing. Oh, praise God. We said, lots of sex and forgiveness. Amen. We wrote the same thing down. I, I'm just putting that out there because I think that could maybe help a married couple. I hope that doesn't sound weird to y'all. I'm just saying the Bible talks about it. It's in the verse. It's all right, brother. It's all right, pastor. I'm trying to give y'all, I'm trying to be as practical in my own life as I can be. Let me give you a, a, a word from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 5. Look at these verses of scripture. Proverbs chapter 5. Again, Solomon, he's writing about how to be married with momentum. He's saying, refrain from the adulterous woman. We're looking at Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 9. He's talking about don't allow yourself to fall into temptation. Don't allow yourself to fall into sexual sin. And here's what he says, Proverbs 5, verses 18. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely, dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. I read that verse. I was like, Whoa. Solomon getting all poetic on us. Do we have that verse, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19? I just want us to see it. If not, just put it in your notes. 
and go visit it later, Proverbs 5, verse 18 and 19. If not, wait till it gets to March 5th, and then you'll read it on that day. Solomon says it like this, rejoice in the wife of your youth and let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always in her love. I, I, I couldn't give it to you in any other way than that. That's the word. Why do I share that? Nina and I do a, a, a lot of uh, premarital counseling with couples. When we have the time and the season, we love to walk with couples and help them catch things before they get married. And one of the things we do is we talk about expectations, because expectations help you expect what to get in marriage, right? Expectations help you set a guide and kind of a vision for your marriage. And one thing we do is we say, okay, this might get a little bit awkward, but when it comes to expectations, let's talk about sex. And we'll always typically find, not always, but a lot of times, we'll find one person says, ooh, yeah. I said, what do you expect? Someone will say, I expect every day. And the other person goes, eh? And then they look at each other and they go, right, right, right? I wasn't expecting that. And what happens is married couples start off on the wrong foot because they don't have the same expectations. And they didn't talk about stuff that matters in the context of marriage. I didn't talk about this with dating with momentum, right? I talked about putting up your guard and your boundaries, doing things the right way at the right time. So when it comes to sex, it's something that God has designed within the confines of marriage for a reason. Oh, here goes the verse. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer and a graceful doe. That's poetic language. I wouldn't encourage you to call your spouse a deer, but <laughs> you get what he means. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. If you, if you don't get intoxicated with your spouse, you might get intoxicated with the wrong thing. I'm just saying. Sex drive is a real thing. And the married couple should help live out 1 Corinthians 7 and help fulfill each other's needs. And here's what I want to do. I want to put, if this is a topic that just gets social with it, just you and your spouse, talk about it. And I gave you some guidelines for talking. Listen to understand. Listen to understand, right? Don't just give your own opinion. I'm going to put a, a, a reality statement up on the screen um, because I think it's, it's helpful when it comes to talking about sex in the context of marriage, it's important to know, like I started with, sex is, is a good thing, not a bad thing, but a good thing can become a bad thing if it's used the wrong way, right? Let me, I'll give you the reality statement like this. Here it is. The right thing used the wrong way can be dangerous. Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, I was thinking about this right here. This is, this is dish soap right here. Dawn scrubbing dish soap. And this could be the right thing if you're interested in cleaning dishes. But if you dump this in a glass and go to drink it, it's poison. Right? If you use this the right way, it serves its purpose and, it, and, and, it's, a, and it's a good thing. Oh, I need some dish soap to clean these dishes or whatever it is that you're washing. It's not meant to drink. The right thing used the wrong way can be dangerous. I think that's true with sex. The right thing, sex, used the right way in the context of marriage is a good thing. Sex is the right thing, but if it's used the wrong way outside of marriage, it could be dangerous, yo. In fact, I would say it is dangerous. There's only one verse in scripture that I'm aware of. Pastor Mike, correct me if I'm wrong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, every other sin a person commits 
is outside their body. But the, the sin of sexual uh, immorality, you commit to your own body. It, it, it's, it's dangerous. There's something about oneness that happens in the context of sex that um, is, it, it, God says, is a gift that only belongs to your spouse. And so when you open up that gift with somebody else, it's just dangerous. In fact, in the old times, in the ancient days, when it came to getting married, marriage wasn't considered a ring as the final way to symbolize marriage. In fact, the rings came a lot later. How'd you know that you got married? Who you had sex with. It was that holy. It was that pure. It was that big of a deal. The signing of the marriage document was what happened in the marriage bed. And that's why it was such a big deal. And so in, in such a way where Jesus says, the only thing that's permissible for a biblical divorce that I'm aware of is when you sign another marriage contract with somebody else. In Jesus' context, he's saying, hey, we don't give exchange rings and exchange vows. That, that's how you honor the marriage bed. It's that big of a deal. So the right thing used the wrong way. Oh, friend, I'm just trying to be the GPS guide, which says, hey, there's an accident ahead of you. <laughs> go a different direction. Go, go back to your spouse. Amen? I know it's the, it might, sometimes it might feel like the right thing, but if it's the wrong way, don't put this in your cup. If you're having sex outside of the marriage, this is what you're drinking. At some point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm you and harm the other person as well. And again, I'm the mailman. I'm the messenger. I didn't make this up. I didn't write this book, but I'm delivering it. And I would encourage you to take all of your Whatever that may be, your issues, your struggle, your challenge, maybe you don't agree, take it to the Lord. And I, I promise you he'll, he'll love to talk with you because God's always open. He never sleeps. He always checks his inbox. He answers prayer. All right, come on, let's keep on going. I think that this is an important topic to help you. Finally, I'd say Hebrews 13, verse 4, and then I'll move into the last point. And I'll try to get there quick. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So you want, you, you, one of the verses says, let the marriage bed be pure. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Not easy to do, but worth it. I'll say, again, I'm just using Nina and I's example, because as we were sharing, walking through this message, we want to just be very practical. Um, Nina and I didn't grow up in Christian households. We, um, not, not necessarily, we uh, grew up kind of in our own world, in our own space. Um, and so sexuality and things like that was something that was active in our lives. But when we became a believer, we both committed that the next person we would, we would honor the marriage bed would be our spouse. We both said that. We, we, we declared it even before we were in a relationship. And a couple years later, God brought us back together. You can hear a little bit more about our story if you want to listen to Dating with Momentum. I shared more about that in that sermon. And God brought us together, and we said, okay, we got to put our boundaries up. We had all types of boundaries, like keep the doors open, you know, like don't stay the night, you know, things like that. Um, 
But I'll tell you what, Nina and I did not engage in sexual activity together until we were married. And we look back at that time together and say, it was hard, but worth it. It was so worth it. And I just want to give that to somebody here in the room today that's maybe struggling in this area. And struggling is a good thing, right? Can I just say that? Can I just champion your struggle? If you're just living in it with no struggle, I'm good with it. I'd be like, man, that's dangerous. You're drinking the wrong stuff. But if you're struggling with it, that just means God's at work. If you're struggling with it, you're growing. Right? When you're in the weight room, you're struggling. You're getting better. And so I would say, hey, have good conversation. Get social. And in the right time, the right way, get sexual. Um, but, but trust the Lord's direction on it is better than your own. Amen? Your flesh will lie to you. Your flesh will deceive you. And God will love you. He'll guide you. Okay, let me move into the last point. And some of you are like, thank goodness. Please, get to it. All right, increase momentum spiritually. The best for last. The most important point in the sermon is this one. Yes, communicate with your spouse socially. Get social. Communication is the key. You can't have good marriage without being good communicators. Sexually, consistency is the key. Get to know your spouse well. Be one with your spouse often. But finally, spiritually, Christ is the key. To have momentum in your marriage, you got to have Christ at the center. Let him be the one that holds you two together. When your spouse lets you down, which they will a lot, go to Christ, who is the one who brought you together, who holds you together, who, who forgave you of all your sins even before you sinned. He already paid the penalty on the cross through his blood, and you can go to him today. And I love what Dr. Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says that the marriage relationship is a window into the gospel. That when marriage is done rightly, people should see Jesus through you. It's actually the best picture that you have of Christ in the church. What does he say? The church is my bride. And he is the groom. And when he comes back in Revelation 21, it says he'll come back like the groom coming to get his wife. As the church comes down into eternity, comes down the aisle, dressed beautifully, marvelously, glowing and pure. It's the picture of Christ in the church. Marriage is a picture of that. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loves the church. It's a sacrificial love. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Everybody say sanctify. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It doesn't say scrubbing. It says washing. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Marriage is about holiness. Marriage is about sanctification. One of my favorite quotes that I love to use in marriage counseling, pre and post, is this. I love it from Matt Chandler. He says, marriage is the fast track to sanctification. In other words, if you really want to grow in your walk with Jesus and you really want to live out the Bible and you really want to be tested, get married. If you really want to learn how to forgive, get married. Marriage is the fast track to growing you into the image of Jesus. 
Marriage makes you deal with the sin in your life. Marriage forces you to forgive. Marriage forces you to love when it's hard. Marriage forces you to pray with a person who's right next to you. Marriage forces you to say, hey, what'd you get out of the sermon today? Mmm, I got to talk about this. Unless you're not getting social with your spouse, I think you should. Right, marriage is the fast track to sanctification. Jesus loves his, his bride. So I just want to encourage you to increase momentum spiritually. How, how are you going to do that? I think there's plenty of ways to do that. One way is to start praying together. I remember when Nina and I uh, were getting, we, we, had, we were about a year married, and we were going through some different things. And we had a pastor in our lives say, how are you guys doing praying together? We hadn't even thought about that, really. So, you know what? We're not doing great in that. And here's what he said. He said, if you can't pray together, that's demonic. If you're in a moment where you say, you know what? I can't even pray with you. Then you know that something demonic's happening. And we've had it happen. And we had to realize and recognize, oh, there's warfare in the marriage. We're not fighting against each other. Let's fight for each other. Let's turn our big energy away from each other, and let's turn it to the enemy. Let me grab your hands. Let's pray together, and let's invite Jesus in. Somewhere along that prayer moment, something changes. Maybe we realize whatever we're arguing about wasn't that significant after all. And maybe we need to invite the Lord in to help us put him at the center, to increase momentum spiritually. Let me talk to all the husbands in the room for a second. Husband, husbands, future husbands, when you're your best in your walk with Jesus, you'll be the best husband God's called you to be. When your relationship, your abiding relationship with him is as good as it could be, it's going to reflect in the home. Put that thing first. Like I would even say, don't put your wife first. Don't put your kids first. Put them second and third. Put Jesus first. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reflect how you do all the other, other things. Wives, let me talk to you for a second. Ladies, when you're your best in your relationship with Jesus, you're your best in the word, you're your best spiritually, you're, your be- you're, you're, you're abiding, you're walking, you're going to be the best wife you could be. What I'm saying is don't just get social and sexual and leave the spiritual to the maybe. When you're your best with Christ, everything is touched. Amen? Everything grows. Everything is best when you're your best with him. And can I tell you, nobody wants to spend more time with you than him. Nobody wants to listen to you more than him. Nobody wants to help you in your journey of relate. Come on, relationships are messy, but relationships can have momentum if you pursue the right thing. Tim Keller says, marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter. You will be able to move out into the world in strength. That's my prayer for all the married couples in the room. I don't expect any couple in the room to be perfect because there's only one perfect one, and that's Christ. But I do expect and my hope is that you would want to grow. You would want to not be stagnant. You you would want to have momentum. 
Uh, the last thing I want to say is, it, it, it was a reminder that as I was working on this sermon, the Lord reminded me of a movie scene. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this movie with Denzel Washington. It's like an old, old classic. It's called The Preacher's Wife. It's like a good Christmas family movie. I was watching The Preacher's Wife not too long ago, and Denzel, he's so cool in the movie, I'll tell you what. Um, and he shows up on the scene. He's this like angel set from heaven to, to help Whitney Houston and The Preacher who are together, and they're having a lot of marriage problems. And one day, Whitney looks at Denzel, and he's the angel, and she goes, well, what happens if the spark dies out? And Denzel looks at her with that charm, and he stares at her, and he says, you don't let it. You don't let it. That's it. You don't let it. And that's the word I want to give you with today. How are you not going to let it? You're going to increase momentum socially. You're going to increase momentum sexually. You're going to increase momentum spiritually. You're going to do it together, and Christ will hold you together. He won't let it, amen? He won't let it. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this, this message today. I pray for all the couples in the room, all the singles in the room, all the widows in the room. God, there's so many different categories of people that you love, and no one is better than the other. You're our foundation, Lord. So as we respond to this message now, God, I pray that couples would feel free and feel peace to grow, increase their communication. And if there's anybody in the room that just needs to get to know you, Jesus, as, as their Savior, today's the day to do it. Even right now, call, just, just call on his name. Just say, Jesus, I believe in you, and I need you. Help me. Save me. Heal me. Forgive me. He died for you. He rose for you. Have momentum with him first before a relationship with somebody else. And God, I just want to pray for all the couples in the room. Pray for every marriage couple specifically. God, would you give them momentum. Give them wind in their sails. Help them to hear your GPS and, and run the right plays. Not just get it in the huddle, but run it in their marriage, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.